guys can have a seat. I mentioned last week that, you know, one of the practices I have every morning is I like to read authors that stir my soul toward God or stir my affections toward Jesus. And uh, it, different authors do it for different people. And, but I have a collection of about five or six men and women that when I read their words, the way their minds think, uh, there's something about the, them putting pen on paper that speaks to me. And one of those authors is a man by the name of Frederick Beekner. And I quote him often. Um, but one of the quotes that, uh, from him that just stays in my soul all the time is this. He says, the grace of God means something like this. God saying to us, here is the world. Take a look. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. We live in a world where a lot of beautiful things happen, don't we? Uh, springtime. That's a world where something beautiful happens. I mean, after a long winter, when springtime comes, there's something beautiful about that. Not too long ago, I was in Arizona, and from Phoenix down in the valley, drove all the way up to Flagstaff in the mountains, and that drive, I was thinking, like, this is, beautiful things happen in this world. If you've ever heard my five-year-old laugh, her laugh is a beautiful thing that God has put in this world. Uh, yesterday, I took my nieces to Times Square. For my youngest niece, it was her first time ever to visit Times Square. Now, you and I, that's a, that's a miserable afternoon. But through the eyes of an eight-year-old who's never seen the lights and Broadway and all of that stuff for the first time, seeing the wonder in her eyes as she saw it for the first time, that's a beautiful thing. We live in a world where beautiful things happen. But we also live in a world where terrible things happen. A world where one moment, one conversation, one phone call can bring our entire worlds crashing to a screeching halt or crumbling to the ground. And we all have moments in our lives that completely shake us. Uh, maybe a breakup, a loss of a relationship that just catches you off guard and leaves you heartbroken or lonely or fearful for the future. Maybe it's losing a job. Maybe it's losing a job in a pandemic. Maybe it's not getting the job that you worked so hard for. Maybe it's not getting the job that you studied so hard for the interview and you prepared and you didn't get it. Terrible things happen in our lives like death. Death of people we love, the impending, our own impending death is scary to us. A diagnosis that leaves your future uncertain can be a terrible thing. Maybe. You've been tasked with caring for an aging parent or a disabled child or a sick spouse. Those sort of things can feel like terrible burdens. Maybe it's financial loss or struggles. I remember years ago, um, I had just graduated college. I was with a friend when, uh, in 2008 on one of those days where the stock market just completely tanked. And I overheard my friend's father talking to his wife about the hundreds of of thousands of dollars he lost in a single day. And I thought, wow, what is that like? That's a terrible thing. Terrible things happen in this world. Political events that change the course of history forever. 9-11 is one of those events. What's happening in Ukraine right now is one of those events for many people in our world. 
I think of March 2020 when Kyle and I were sitting at our church office going, what do we do? There's this thing that's coronavirus and Tom Hanks might have it and what's going on? And then we have to cancel services. Okay, we're going to cancel services for two weeks. You know, 15 days to stop the spread. We had no idea what a terrible thing that the COVID, what COVID would bring into our lives. And it, it, has, it, it completely changed our lives. Right now, we're celebrating Lent in the church calendar. Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. This is a time where we are reminded of death and sorrow and sin. We live in a world where terrible, difficult things happen, things that bring sorrow and all kinds of other emotions into our lives. Yet the grace of God, as Frederick Buechner reminds us, says to us, do not be afraid, I'm with you. We've been studying the Gospel of John, and we're at this point in the narrative of Jesus' life where Jesus is just moments away from being arrested. And he's just hours away from being crucified. And just before he's betrayed by Judas, and just before he's arrested by the Roman guards, Jesus shares one last meal with his disciples. And he's sort of dumping all of his last words onto them in this, this short dinner that they had together in the upper room. And again, remember, here's the world, beautiful things happen in it. Think of the disciples as they're eating this last meal with Jesus. All the beautiful things they've witnessed. They've been with Jesus for three years. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him give sight to the blind. They've seen him feed crowds of people. They've heard him teach with authority. They've seen his compassion toward people. They've seen him control the winds and the waves. They've seen some beautiful things, but now Jesus is going to tell them something terrible. And he says to them, I'm going away. He tells them that he is about to go away, he's about to be betrayed, and that he will soon be executed. And you have to imagine, this was the worst possible news for these disciples. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. Their hope was that Jesus would lead them into the kingdom. And they had a very different understanding of what that would look like. It did not involve their teacher being executed and being publicly humiliated. And so this is just, this is so confusing and so disrupting and so terrible for their entire lives. And so in this moment when Jesus says, I'm going away, their hearts are, they sunk. And they were in such despair and in their confusion and in their sorrow, Jesus offers in chapter 16, the chapter we're looking at today, he offers words of encouragement to them. And in our passage today, we see the heart of Jesus toward those who suffer. And if you're here this afternoon and you're suffering, you need to know that Jesus' heart is toward you. And he speaks encouragement into your life, even in the worst of the worst. And the encouragement Jesus gives to his disciples in chapter 16, I believe we can apply to our lives in 2022. Look at what Jesus says in John 16. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. And his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And then again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, so they're confused. They're like, what is he talking about? In a little while and in a little while and what? And so they were saying, verse 18, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, 
Is this what you guys are talking about? Is this what you're thinking in your head? Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant when I said a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me? And he explains it to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You're going to be sad tomorrow, but the world's going to be laughing as I'm crucified. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he gives them an analogy or an illustration. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And look at verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And then verse 31, it says, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, I want to give, I want to show you three encouragements that Jesus gave to his disciples during this dinner and encouragements that we can receive as well. And this is elementary Christianity. These are the basic promises of God, but yet the most comforting. The first promise that he gives us into our sorrow is this, your sorrow will turn into joy. There's an old gospel song that says, trouble don't last always, because trouble don't last always. And this is what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, a little while you'll see me no longer. That's terrible news. But then again, in a little while, you will see me. That's great news. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you will soon enter into a feeling of pain and loss like nothing you've ever experienced. But soon after, in a little while, Jesus meant three days, after after your pain, you will see me again. Your pain won't last always. There is an expiration date to your suffering, he says. I think of a child out with his mother to eat lunch. And he's looking out the restaurant with a window of the restaurant and he sees dark clouds and loud wind and rain splashing off the sidewalk and says to his mother, Mom, what are we going to do? It's pouring outside, it's storming, and we forgot our umbrellas. And the mother calmly says, Don't worry, child. I've seen these kinds of storms before. This storm won't last long, so keep eating we'll be fine. You see, Jesus reassures his disciples and he tells you and me that there is an expiration date to your suffering. He knows these storms and he knows they don't last always. And that's encouraging to know that there is an expiration date to our suffering, but it doesn't remove, it doesn't even explain the suffering, but Jesus continues and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. You will have sorrow, Jesus says, but your sorrow will turn into 
joy. He doesn't say you will have joy despite the sorrow. He says your sorrow itself will turn into joy. Jesus says the very pain that is the source of your sorrow today will be the source of your joy in the future. And then he gives an analogy to help them of a woman in childbirth. Labor is painful. Uh, pregnancy is uncomfortable. I've watched my wife carry two of our children. Pregnancy is uncomfortable. Labor is painful. Childbirth is painful. It's, it is, it, it, it's no fun. But when the child is born, there's this beautiful ability for us to get all the pain gets, put, gets swallowed up by the joy of holding the child. It's, I mean, it is an incredible thing to see a woman going through immense pain and then in an instant just all smiles because the joy of the child swallows up the pain of childbirth. And Jesus says, in childbirth, the very thing that causes you the most pain is the, actually the very thing that's going to give you the most joy. He says that the relationship between sorrow and joy is actually linked. He says, see, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again soon. And when I see you again, your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Not persecution, not sickness, not poverty, not death. And I remember, think about this for a moment. These disciples, they watched Jesus get executed, and then they saw him rise from the dead. I mean, in a couple of hours from Jesus giving them this speech, in a couple of hours, these disciples will have the worst night of their lives. They will watch Jesus be betrayed by a friend with a kiss. They will watch Jesus be violently arrested. They will watch him be falsely accused, unjustly tried, and sentenced to die the death of a murderer and an insurrectionist, even though he was innocent. Jesus will be cursed, he'll be mocked, he'll be stripped, he'll be spit upon, he will be beaten. And while this is happening, many of the disciples will become afraid, they will scatter, and even Peter will reject him. And when Jesus breathed his last breath and was placed in a tomb, you can imagine the immense amount of sorrow that the disciples felt. Three years of following him, and now he's dead. What have we done with our, our, the last three years of our lives? The pain of watching their teacher executed. The pain, I think of John comforting Mary, Jesus' mother, how painful that would have been to try to reassure a mother who just watched her son die. I think of Peter. God, Peter, you know, like the shame that he feels after rejecting Jesus in that moment where Jesus was being executed. This was the worst night of their lives. But three days later, Jesus opens the tombstone, walks into the room that they're hiding out on and says, hey guys, <laughs> want to eat some fish? You know, let's eat. And in that moment, their sorrow is swallowed up by the joy in seeing Jesus. You see, the very thing that caused them the most pain, the resurrection made, that, made the, joy, it, the joy was that much sweeter. See, when the disciples see him again, their joy exceeds the pain of losing him. What the world took from them, the resurrection gave back. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, in a little while your sorrow will turn to joy. And the resurrection did two things for them. It ended their pain. It ended the pain, but it also gave their pain meaning. And therefore, God used the pain to bring greater joy. And this 
promise extends to you and me as well. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. This is Paul saying trouble don't last always. Our affliction is light and it is momentary. And it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And listen, when Paul says our sufferings are light and momentary, Paul is not talking about a sprained ankle. He's not talking about a long line at the DMV or trying to find parking in Bay Ridge after 8 o'clock. He's not talking about inconveniences and frustrations. He was a man. Paul was well acquainted with suffering. In his own words, he had experienced afflictions, hardships, calamities, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. You know, one of the most frustrating things about suffering and sorrow is that it can make us feel alone, can't it? And we think to ourselves, no one else can relate to what I'm going through right now. But Paul can and Jesus can. And Paul says, your affliction, no matter how painful, it's light and it's momentary. How in the world could he say such a thing? How could he have such faith and such assurance? The resurrection. It's the resurrection. The same reason as the disciples. Paul's hope was in the resurrection. The resurrection on Easter Sunday, it turned the disciples' sorrow into joy because they saw Jesus again after losing him three days earlier. But the promise of the resurrection for you and me is the promise of Revelation 22, that one day Jesus is going to return, and it's not just his body that's going to be resurrected, but it's yours and mine and all those who have passed before us. And not only is, will it be our bodies that are resurrected, but the whole world will be renewed and restored. And he will wipe away. There is a day coming where Jesus will resurrect all that is broken in this world. And on that day, he will wipe every tear from your eye. He will remove every evil from this world. He will take every evil dictator off of their throne. He will restore our broken bodies. He will renew this broken earth. And he promises that no matter how deep your sorrow is today, it will turn into joy in eternity. I have a friend who called me a few weeks ago, his oldest son was just diagnosed with a rare developmental disorder. It's one of those things where it's like 135 people in the world have it. And my friend is just distraught. And he, he, the, this diagnosis means that his son will never live independently. His son, uh, his brain will never fully develop. He, he'll always be weak physically, and he will never mature beyond that of the, the, the mental capacity of a child. And physically, his son will face all sorts of challenges. And for, that's the struggle for his son. But for him and his wife, he'll never be an empty nester. He'll always be caring for his child, even into adulthood. He will endure many challenges as he raises his son through adulthood. Financial challenges, emotional challenges, physical challenges. Life is going to be challenging for my friend. And many of you know that my wife and I have similar, have dealt with similar issues with our son. And so my friend called me to talk about these challenges. And he's a pastor. And we spent about a half hour griping. Sometimes it feels good to gripe, doesn't it? And lament. 
And we griped and we lamented about all the things that make our lives challenging. We spent a half hour doing that. And then we spent an hour and a half after that talking about the resurrection. Because we can gripe, we can lament, but we always have to do it with the resurrection in mind. Because there's coming a day where our sorrow will turn into joy. And for my friend and for his son, what that means is that his son's brain, his son's body will be made new on that day. And he will be given a resurrected body with strong legs that can run and jump and do the things that his boy will never be able to do in this life. My friend was a baseball player in college. And I said, man, you're going to play catch with your son on that day. And your son's brain will be fully developed on that day. And you're going to have conversations with him that you've always wanted to have. And all the decades and the years of suffering that you have experienced in this life and that he has experienced in this life will feel momentary on that day. You guys ever had like a really bad dream and in the dream it feels like it lasts, it, it, the dream feels like it spanned a lifetime. And then you wake up and you realize, wait a second, it was just a dream. And what felt like a lifetime of a nightmare is erased in a moment, but when you realize what reality is. And that's what eternity will do to our pain. It will feel like waking up from a nightmare. And every single ounce of pain will become 10,000 pounds of joy in the presence of Jesus. So what are you facing today? There's all sorts of sorrow that's in this room. But what hope do you have but the resurrection? What hope do you have but the resurrection? If Paul says if there's no resurrection, we're wasting our lives. If there's no resurrection, then our pain is meaningless. It's just random. You have been randomly selected to suffer. Congratulations. But if there is a resurrection, then it means that your suffering has an expiration date and it also has a context, which is that the world is going to be made right and your suffering will be put in its proper place and it will be turned into joy. And I know many of you are saying, you're like, I, just, I, w- I wish I believed that. I wish that could be true. But 1 John 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then he says, And everyone who hopes in this purifies themselves. You see, you may have doubts. But the scriptures promise us that even just the mere hope of the resurrection, just wanting the resurrection, loving the idea of the resurrection, longing for the promise of the resurrection, even though you might be unsure of it, that alone can strengthen your soul as you suffer. I think of the young man in the scriptures who said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. The smallest little bit of belief, the smallest little bit of faith, Jesus honors and he brings healing into our lives. You see, your sorrow will turn into joy. Be encouraged by that. This is the promise of Jesus. Resurrection is coming. Trouble don't last always. But Jesus offers another encouragement to his disciples. He says, the Father himself loves you. Verse 27, he says, For the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. The Father himself loves you. The Father 
himself loves you. If you were thinking, man, you know, I really would like to get a tattoo. Like, I want to live on the wall. That's a good thing to tattoo on the back of your eyelids, maybe. The Father himself loves you. Tape that to your mirror. The Father himself loves you. There is nothing in this life that is more powerful than the blessing of a father. There's nothing more powerful in this life than the blessing of a father. And there is nothing more damaging in this life, in my experience, of watching, of pastoring people over the years. There is nothing more damaging than the lack of a blessing from a father. Many lives have been wrecked because they never heard a blessing from their father. Not having a blessing like this from a father is also the source of much suffering. Talk to any counselor or therapist and they will tell you that much of our issues, many of the issues in this life that people endure are because they never got what they needed from their earthly father. And for many people, the suffering that they bring into their own lives is the result of seeking a blessing from their father. Even those of us with the best fathers, and I had a great father. I received love and affirmation from my father. But we all crave that from our dads. And often our experiences with our earthly fathers might, if you've had a bad experience with an earthly father, you may be suspicious about God the Father's love for you. You see, because when we suffer, we can become suspicious of God's love for us, his compassion for us. How could he let this happen? But Jesus says to his disciples, just before they enter into great pain, he says, don't forget this. The father himself loves you. I don't care what your dad has said to you. I don't care the horrible things that you've endured at the hands of your father or the lack of things that have been given to you by your father. The heavenly father himself loves you. What difference can this make in your suffering to know that any suffering that comes into your life, you can endure because you have a heavenly father who loves you and is with you. Listen, when my children are sick, there's something I like about when my children are sick because they're sweeter. You know, they love me more when they're sick. You know what I'm talking about? Like when they're pitiful and they're sniffly and they're like, uh, that is when my little girls will climb up into my lap and just sit there because they're in pain and they're in suffering and that is when they cling most closely to their father's love. I took my little, my little Annie on a roller coaster a few weeks ago and she just gripped my hand the whole time because she was scared. In our moments of suffering and pain and fear, that is when we grip closely to a father who loves us. The father himself loves you. Some of you have never heard that spoken over you. And you need to hear it again and again and again. The Father himself loves you. And how does he love us? For God so loved the world. He so loved you. How much? That he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn us but in order that the world might be saved through him. God the Father loves you so much that he goes to the greatest lengths to deliver you from the suffering that you, live, that you experience in this life. He sends his son into this world to redeem you from sin, sickness, Satan, and death. And this is the final encouragement Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, you want to know how the Father loves you? Look how I love you, because I and the Father are one. 
Everything Jesus does for his disciples, the Father has done for you and for me. And this is why Jesus says, finally, take heart, I have overcome. This is the third encouragement to us in our suffering. He says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, my Father loves you so much that he sent me into the world to overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome. You see, this is what we celebrate every single week when we gather together. We gather together not to celebrate music or to celebrate a lecture or to celebrate the company of good people. We gather together as the people of God to celebrate that God has loved us so much that he sent his son to die the death that we deserve so that we could be lifted up into the resurrection that we don't deserve. This is what we celebrate, and this is what we celebrate when we take the bread and the cup, and when we take communion, we celebrate that through the cross of Christ, Jesus has overcome our sin, he has overcome our suffering, he has overcome death, and through his blood, he has made a way for us to be resurrected. On the cross, Jesus overcame death, he overcame sin, and he overcame shame. And he rose from the dead, and just before he ascended to the Father, he promised this to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Take heart. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You're going to face tribulation in this life, but, but be, stay calm. All authority has been given to me. Nothing will come into your life that did not first go through me. I have authority in all things. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, I can't explain why suffering happens. People, how can you explain the problem of evil and suffering? You can't explain it away. God doesn't always give us that insight, but he does give us encouragements along the way in our suffering. And the encouragements are that our sorrow will turn to joy in the resurrection. Jesus encourages us that the Father himself loves you. And he tells us that he has overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Back to Frederick Buechner, the grace of God is something like this. Here's the world that we live in. Beautiful and terrible things are going to happen, but don't be afraid because God is with us. Let me pray for us, church. God, I know that in a room like this, with this many people, there is some serious pain in this room. And I, there are struggles and sorrows and tears and stories of heartbreak and loss and isolation and fear and uncertainty in this room. And God, often our fear and our worry and our anxiety and our pain can it feels like it overwhelms us. And it feels like it's, it feels like it's going to last forever, and it feels like it's going to have the last word in our lives. But God, you speak a better and truer word, and that is that you have overcome this world. And that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear, for you are with us, and your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You are with us in the pain. You are a God who aligns yourself with the oppressed and with the weak and with the poor and with the, vulner and the vulnerable. You are a God who loves us so much that you do not spare your own son. You gave up your life so that you could give us yours. 
And so, God, even as we walk through pain today, we trust that you are good because you are with us and that you have promised that a resurrection is coming. And on that day, we will, our, our pain will be put into context and our pain will be swallowed up by the joy of being resurrected with you. And so, God, we look forward to that day. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.